the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Sideline Sanity with me, Michelle Tafoya, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There has never been a better time to invest in precious metals, so go to LegacyPMInvestments.com. LegacyPMInvestments.com. Coming up at a time when green energy is all the rage and it's imposing some major restrictions, what about nuclear? For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. Welcome to Sideline Sanity, everyone. Uh, There is a sane approach to green energy, a sane approach to fossil fuels. I believe a sane approach to the overall energy picture worldwide, and especially here in the United States of America. And if I were to tell you that some of the biggest proponents of nuclear energy came from Northern California, would you believe me? You're talking to a woman who spent four years at the University of California at Berkeley, I I know the area well. My parents are both from Northern California. People picture it as the tree-hugging capital of the world. And while that may be part of the case, there's a really interesting group there. And it was started by Michael Schellenberger, whose name you may remember because he recently ran for governor of California. And sadly to me, did not get past the primaries. I think he would have been outstanding. But he has started a group called Environmental Progress, and I wanted to t- have Mr. Schellenberger on the show. He's an extremely busy person. The first person they mentioned to me to have in his stead is Mark Nelson, who's a managing director at Radiant Energy Group. And I'm really happy to have him. And Mark, thanks for joining us. I'm excited to talk about all of this because it's, it's, uh, it's surprising, I think, to a lot of people to hear nuclear. And I think that so many people just immediately think, Chernobyl, Three Mile Island, and they freak out. And so what is it about nuclear energy today that is safer than it was before? Uh, In practical terms, almost nothing. What's different (laughs) is uh, a generation that did not grow up scared of it is learning about it before hearing the propaganda. That's, That's the major difference. So... Let me let me expand on that a little bit. Um, we have more yes. nuclear reactors in operation today than ever before. We have more uh, jet aircraft in operation than ever before. Jet aircraft crashing used to be really, really common. It used to happen all the time, Michelle. Like, it's just really frequent. As it started to become more rare, our fear of those crashes actually, you know, increased a little bit, especially compared to how frequently they happened. 
And, you know, this is the way engineering advances. In most industries, engineering advances only, it's only coming by blood. I know that sounds really grim, but I was just down in a uranium mine a few weeks ago and there was a, down in the, one of the refuge rooms, you know, more than a thousand feet under the earth, there was a big whiteboard in the break room and it said, remember, the Mines Act, meaning the safety regulations, the Mines Act is written in blood. And that's for the working men and women down there to remind them always that the reason they are safe today is because of blood, because of death before. And I, I'm sorry, that's mm -hmm. a little grim, but just as airplanes are phenomenally safe today, they are much more dangerous than nuclear reactors. And nuclear reactors are more used than, than ever before, but we almost never hear of anything coming out of them, even though anything that does happen at a reactor gets reported around the world, if that makes sense. So yeah, we've learned through time no question, how to operate them. And yeah. although, yeah, maybe it would be great to have um, in this world perfect energy that is exactly what you want, where you want, with no mining, no waste, doesn't exist on anybody's uh, soil, it's not in anyone's hometown, it lasts forever and it's free. We don't have that. And nuclear energy is about as good as it gets and we're very lucky to have something that good. Now, someone would say what you just described, to have this energy that is accessible everywhere. They would say, well, what about solar? Well, it's not sunny every day. But, but I guess what I would like to know is there's a whole spectrum of energy sources, right? And so are you telling me that from what you found, nuclear is the safest or the, the, most, the safest of the most pro prolific? Tell me. Is a tent safer or not than a house? A house can collapse on you. Tents, especially lightweight ones, can't really collapse on you. So we're comparing different things, perhaps. If you build okay. houses, okay. you typically have a need for what a house provides. And if you build them well and maintain them well, you could argue that that house protects against things that are much more dangerous than the house itself collapsing. Right. I know it sounds like I'm speaking in, in metaphors and uh, parables here. But this is actually really important because one of the ways that very sophisticated uh, doctorate brandishing people lie and confuse is that they give you little details completely out of context. So out of context, you have no way to make any sense of them. And you can just, you just have to go on vibes and people who are inclined to trust, automatically trust PhDs and doctorates, uh, even if those people have never been in a power plant, they're going to go with whatever those people say if it agrees with what mood they already have. So if it sounds like I, I could go, give you lots of numbers, I could give you deaths per terawatt hours, I could list all the major accidents and the possible future accidents that we might have and how they might be addressed and what the cost and both lives, evacuations and um, money would be. But it would be so out of context with the conversation of what are you actually getting? Why are we building them? Why did they build Chernobyl? Why was Fukushima okay, Daiichi built in the first place? Well, let's start with that. Why? Because energy is life. Because electricity is very close to magic. It's as close as we have to magic. People like to think that something they wouldn't want to live without is, say, cell phones or instant communications with their loved ones around the world. No, 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 no. It's the electricity. Well, it's electricity. We could go back to the telegraph dot, 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 dot. And it would still be better than living without electricity. Why? 
It's because it's extremely reliable, high order, exact energy coming into your house and inter- interacting perfectly with the devices that make your life comfortable and in many cases keep you alive, especially when the climate's against you, especially if weather turns against you. What you need more than anything is electricity. Whether it comes from the dirtiest or cleanest source, you need that energy when the weather is bad. And that's what electricity provides. Um, And I I come from a natural gas producing area. Natural gas provides things that currently electricity struggles to do. But electricity is a miraculous system for getting perfect amounts of power to people in compact cities and also far-flung places. So that's why we build nuclear energy. Now, why do we build nuclear as opposed to coal? Why do we build nuclear as opposed to solar, for example? Why was, right. that, why was that the case in Japan? Why are they turning back to nuclear despite Fukushima Daiichi having a triple meltdown? Why is Ukraine the most nuclear positive country on planet Earth? Why did they keep Chernobyl nuclear plant operating after the accident? They had to be forced to close it. They had to be bribed to close Chernobyl nuclear plant by Germany and other countries because they weren't going to do it. And we're talking 14 years after the plant blew up. They were still operating it to make a lot of their electricity. Why is that the case? Because when you really need energy and you've got to have it, nothing else is as good as nuclear. And when you say as good, what do you mean? It's under your own power and your own control. Even when it's going wrong, it's going wrong under your watch. I know that sounds crazy. If I support nuclear energy, why would I bring up such terrible things like all these meltdowns? It's because despite the meltdowns, even the most famous meltdowns have led to the countries that hosted those melting reactors to double or triple down on nuclear energy. That's the astonishing thing. Let me put it the way France did. France did not try to solve climate change when they built out their giant nuclear fleet that powers their country. They didn't try to solve climate change at all. They didn't care, Michelle. They didn't care at all. Instead, they just didn't have any fossil fuels and wanted to be rich anyway. Crazy, huh? They wanted to be rich and didn't have fossil fuels, so they built a giant nuclear fleet. Once the people who claim to care most about international cooperation and climate change, once those people got into power, the first thing they started to do was try to rip out the nuclear plants. So, and so why, and, and why? Well, because climate change is bad and nuclear is bad, so nuclear causes climate change. I, I wish I were kidding. I really wish I were just joking and making that up as a stupid little way to use up our podcast time. But I'm telling you, in France, the percentage of people who like nuclear tracks almost perfectly with the percentage of people that think that their nuclear fleet is causing climate change, despite not putting out carbon, Okay. despite being one of the lowest carbon energy sources ever, because they make their own, they make their own fuel, they recycle their own fuel, every, almost everything's done in-house in France. And if you're making your own so, fuel with nuclear electricity, that's clean. It's a clean industrial process in terms of energy. So, so why are people buying into this notion that it it's the worst thing for the climate? Because you know, I a lot of people say it's because humans are stupid. I absolutely reject that. I think there's wisdom in crowds. I think that humans have a magnificent ability to make decisions in a complex, uncertain, dangerous world extremely rapidly. They can practically smell the way to stay alive. Some of the dumbest people that have ever lived still lived, right? They still survive day to day. (laughs) Yes. 
you, we know yeah. we know some pretty dim, maybe lovely people, and somehow they've made it this far, right? Almost everybody makes it this mm-hmm. far. We live in safe times, even in a dangerous world. So here's what I think is happening. People have room to either like or dislike things, right? Like or dislike. And they have to decide really quick. When people don't like nuclear, they say it's bad and it causes bad things or is caused by bad things. It's all just bad things, right? People who grew up protesting the Vietnam War, nuclear energy was like nuclear weapons, which was like war, which was like Vietnam War. We're still fighting groups out in California that are called Mothers for Peace. They they were founded to protest Mm -hmm. the Vietnam War and block nuclear plants. Right. And they're all out of Vietnam War, right? So, so... So it's now their their focus is on nuclear plants. We I, I, we got to get a little more granular about this. I, I, I when we come back from this break, we're going to continue with uh, Mr. Nelson here, Mark Nelson, managing director at Radiant Energy Group, and talk about just the spectrum of energy that's available to us and what makes nuclear unique on that spectrum and why we should be paying closer attention. That's next. Boy, since November of last year, the stock market has been all over the place, right? But gold has been steadily on the rise. Gas prices are a joke. The stock market, as I said, is extremely volatile. Inflation is its worst in about 40 years. We've got this war between Russia and Ukraine. The markets don't like instability. But the good news is you have options. Gold prices are rising as investors turn to gold for protection because gold provides a hedge against inflation and protects against a weakening dollar. Legacy Precious Metals is the only company I trust when it comes to investing in gold and silver. You need an investment that will protect your wealth and your retirement. Call Legacy Precious Metals today. Be proactive while there's still time. Remember 2008? Those who invested in gold saw huge gains while others lost their retirements. Legacy Precious Metals can advise you on all your options for investing in gold and silver. What have you got to lose by giving them a call and asking your questions? You can speak to an IRA expert at Legacy Precious Metals at 866-528-1903, 866-528-1903, or download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. All right, Mark. So we know we have fossil fuels. We know we have uh, natural gas. We know we have coal. We know we have nuclear. We know we have solar. We know we have wind. Am, am I missing a major category here in all the energy uh, sources? Geothermal. Available? Geothermal. Okay. All right. All of those exist. 
Now, the green energy movement is saying electric, 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 battery cars, battery cars, battery cars. I I think all of it sounds good, like they want to reduce emissions, right, and make the environment cleaner. But I don't think people get to the second level thinking on that. In order to create batteries and the like, I mean, we've got to dig for all this stuff, the, the lithium, the, the, the substances that make up these batteries, solar panels, same way. Where are they made? Is there slave labor involved? Et cetera, et cetera. So p- people don't get past that sort of, oh, let's just make the world clean. What's the answer? And they think clean energy, electric, you know, batteries, yada, yada. And they don't understand or they don't second level think that in order to create that stuff, there's got to be another underlying energy source, right? I mean, don't we need fossil fuels in our machines that dig for the lithium, et cetera? Am I simplifying this too much? No, in fact, you've done a good job. And just today, I saw a prominent climate researcher who puts, you know, doctor in his in his Twitter bio and and in his Twitter headline. <laughs> he was saying, "Hey, everybody's saying that we have these mining problems, but these weren't invented by clean energy. We have cell phones and they require lithium batteries." So there's something going on where people associate again clumping all bad things have all bad properties, all good things have all good properties, right? So that's part of what's going on. Right, right. Nuclear is bad because yeah. it takes mining. Well, it takes a radically small amount of mining compared to, say, other clean energy sources. But they, but clean energy sources are good. So whatever mining they have, first of all, they don't have mining. If you're forced to consider that they have mining, their mining is good. You see? <laughs> that's, that's good, good mining, mining because it results in what I think is yeah. good. And I'm... It's bad mining if it results in something I and think I wish, is bad. I wish I could say that we were all immune from this because we're so logical and rational, but this is the way we rapidly judge how to make decisions, who to trust, who to, who to, who to entrust our future with, right? So here's, what, here's the big problem with saying, well, cell phones have batteries and you know, cordless drills have batteries and many things have batteries, so it's all the same problem. It's that doing information technology – takes only a little bit of power even to radically expand the amount of information you're saving, storing, sharing. Because as electronics advance, they advance by making smaller and smaller circuits that use less and less energy. Now, we may do a lot more computation, so it may keep the energy level, but there's as, as electronics get more powerful, their energy usage does not go up much, especially not compared to the power. So there's this divide between information that takes some energy, but less energy is fine and even better. And then there's energy stuff like driving cars or uh, powering homes or uh, heating or cooling or doing manufacturing. You don't decrease the energy much in order if you still want to have it. So to do lithium mining for cars is a radical expansion of lithium mining, but almost everybody on planet Earth now is equipped with a cell phone, either themselves or in their household. That's not that much. It's only a little bit. Because the amount of uh, lithium used in a car is, what, hundreds, maybe thousands of times more than in one cell phone. So that's part of it. A misunderstanding between progress in shrinking computers and progress in energy usage. There's just, they're they're not the same. They're not similar. They don't move in the same directions through time. That's part of it. Then the second part is a failure to consider the technology that you called bad for those reasons that you're now calling good. So they don't say lithium mining is not so bad 
because we gonna we're gonna need it anyway for these clean vehicles. They don't say, oh, well, then let's check those same standards against the thing that we said was bad for those reasons. They don't go backwards. This, this You could call this path dependency, where you start on a path and the walls get so steep, you're just not going to come. You're not, you either have to go backwards in a terrible, embarrassing way, or you have to just go forwards. Yeah. Now, you don't have to. You could always be honest. You could always be uh, do a mea culpa and say, look, we were wrong about this technology in the past. And one of the transformations we're seeing around nuclear now is that so many people are actually making that change. They're coming out and saying, for 40 years, I fought this. I have to admit, the yeah. war in Ukraine, it just made me realize I was wrong. Or following, seeing the USA just fall behind worse and worse and worse behind other countries that are keeping still building nuclear reactors. I was wrong. We can't stop nuclear bombs by making it to where America never participates in the nuclear energy market because that's going anyway. I've heard that from very sophisticated people in D.C. So so you're hearing a change in tone then that you think is different from, say, 15 years ago? Without a doubt. One of the there's a lot of reasons for pessimism, especially in Washington today. I will tell you that the bipartisan cooperation, often behind the scenes, but sometimes out in public between committed and famous Democrats and Republicans who will go to war on almost every other issue, the, the comradeship, the collegial feeling on nuclear energy, both in the House and the Senate, is incredible right now. It's really? absolutely astonishing. Why don't we hear this more? Why, I, 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 listen, I pay so <laughs> close attention. Yeah, well, that is right, isn't it? It's like if you're going to cooperate, it makes you look weak. And in fact, I think it makes people look incredibly strong if they're going to cooperate. But for whatever reason, people have decided if I get along with the other side, I'm going to look weak. And that is so far afield from where we need to be. Uh, let's take one more quick break. And then I want to come back and I just want to get some details some data, some numbers on nuclear energy and where the United States stands compared to the rest of the world, where we're going, and could this be sort of the answer? That's next. Well, Uncle Tom 2, it's coming out. It unveils the Marxist strategy of creating false racial tension between Americans. Its ultimate goals, obtaining power, destroying capitalism, and replacing God with government. Pre-order Uncle Tom 2 today on SalemNow.com. Go to SalemNow.com right now. All right, Mark, where is the United States positioned? How are we positioned relative to the rest of the world in terms of our nuclear energy capabilities? What do we have? What do we need? Let's talk inside our country where we are extraordinary, and then outside the country where we have some ground to make up. So America produces about 20% of its electricity from nuclear energy. We have about about 100 gigawatts of reactors. That's a, a something just under that many number of reactors, about one gigawatt apiece. How big is that? That's about enough to run between 500,000 and a million people's homes and businesses in a city. That's okay. so about, right? Okay. That's about how I'd put it. Um, well, our nuclear plants are not the newest ones in the world, to be sure, but they operate extraordinarily well. No other country has a fleet so large that's operating so perfectly. You almost never hear of a nuclear plant needing to stop for any reason anymore. They just run straight through. 
every single hour. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna take you one further. I don't think most Americans know that there are nuclear plants in the United States. I, I might have agreed I, I, with you. I swear to God, when I started this work ten years ago, I think that most yeah. Americans yeah. would say, "Yeah, I think nuclear. Yeah, it's that thing from the Simpsons that I think I've heard. We have it." So we're getting there. We're getting there, Michelle. I promise that you. thing from The Simpsons. How about this? Okay, of those who okay. know that electricity exists and that power plants provide it, uh, most of those are going to know that nuclear plants are in this country. So okay. here's another thing. The cost per unit of energy, the ongoing cost, not the construction cost. That's long gone because almost all nuclear plants in the U.S. are fully paid off. The cost of producing nuclear electricity is extremely low. Now, this is confusing for people. They hear nuclear is very expensive to build. And that confuses them because once nuclear exists, it provides extremely inexpensive energy and lasts for 50, 60, 80 years, may, may last for a century, may, may keep lasting after that. So once you build them, they're like what a cathedral is for beauty and spirit. They just keep going for after that. A big effort. Everybody got to bring some stones. You need some really good master stonemasons. Once you build them, you've got them. And you keep them, and they're yours to treasure and cherish, unless you intentionally destroy them. Which we do that. We All do right. That some. How expensive are they to build? So when you barely do it, it's hard to put a number on it, isn't it? The two reactors under construction in the U.S. today are down in Georgia. They're due to turn on in next year. Now they were supposed to turn on almost, you know, six years ago, six or seven years ago. That's not really? great. Okay. With the current cost of natural gas and coal, they will pay for themselves. In about 10, 15 years, depending on prices, 15, 20 years, but they're going to last okay. for 80 or 100. Okay. So that's deep right, capital right, right. for the country. That is strength, right. ongoing right. strength for a really long time. Now, that's inside okay. the U.S. These, oh, go ahead. Sure. Okay. So that's, that's no, inside the U.S., right? Outside the U.S., almost every reactor in the world getting exported by one country and built for a customer is Russian. The South Koreans are finishing up one plant in United Arab Emirates. We bid on that. We just got beat because they had their, from the president down to the lowest level engineer, they were all on one team and they provided the best bid with U.S. technology. They, they sold the UAE U.S. technology that we can't build anymore. You want people to be embarrassed and stand up for something? I think Democrats and Republicans can come together and be ashamed that that's how bad we've fallen. That other people have to build. Wait, how, our how did that, how did that happen? Easy. Yeah. Can, can you explain how 1986 that was Chernobyl year. South Korea had built a bunch of plants from different designs from around the world. You know, France had built them some. Canada had built them some. America had built them some. And they went out and said, "All right, we'd like to build for ourselves because it's our power plants, and we're good at we're good at machines and good at heavy forgings. Uh, we've never done nuclear itself before, but." We have the plants and we're watching them. I think we can do it. So they said, we are now accepting bids, but we want to learn how to build them ourselves and eventually build them alone. And almost nobody took that seriously except for a company that was basically going out of business. One of the big four American reactor producers didn't see any orders on the horizon. No support was coming from the U.S. government. No, nobody thought that nuclear really had much of a future in the U.S. So they kind of threw up their hands and say, let's just sell them everything. And they did. Uh, about 300 of the brightest South Koreans in their entire country moved over to Connecticut to learn how to build American nuclear reactors and the instructions they got. And this is, a, this is from a serious time, right? A serious time where survival of nations was in question. 19, in the 1980s, South Korea still in a state of war with North Korea, right? 
they were those mm-hmm. young n- nuclear engineers were told you go over there and you learn how to build these reactors from your colleagues in Connecticut or don't come home. I mean, like that's a fairly strong message. Was it metaphorical or not? But yeah, th- this is you may have heard this before. Hard times make hard men, hard men make good times, good times make soft men, soft men make hard times. We can make it gender neutral if you want, because we're going to need everybody on board for brains coming up. We're now coming out of a time where the easy stuff is either done or um, the easy times are are coming to an end. Now, it's a lot less bad in America than it is going to be in Europe. Europe is going to see horrors that few people alive have seen in the next few years because they don't have enough energy. Whole countries are going to have to determine whether their own people living at first world standard can be afforded. And they're going to kind of fall as countries to lower levels with massive immigration. It's going to be really ugly, Michelle. Well, we are going to see that. We're going to have a few years head head start because we have our own oil and gas and coal. We're, we're one of the most lucky countries in the world when it comes to energy. But where we're really weak is that nuclear. So right, South Korea is building one in UAE from our former designs that are now theirs. Yeah. Maybe we could get them to come and teach our engineers. Maybe we send our young engineers, Michelle, to Seoul. Is that a strike against American pride? We can recruit them from finance industry if there's bad times there or from tech now that all the Instacart clones are crashing, right? Maybe we can send our young, talented people to go humbly learn at the feet of people who know how to do what we used to be able to do because they learned it from us. Are we too good for that? Are you telling me that's the only way that we can learn? No, but I'm okay. Let's take an example of SpaceX. SpaceX was an extraordinary effort. If you showed people 10 or 15 years ago what SpaceX would be doing today, I think they would have said, absolutely not. There's no way. So that's one example of America relearning how to build physical objects and to operate them well. We've been weak at that. And people can claim, oh, that's only because a lot of government support. Well, all right. Do we need a rocketry program or not? What I would say about energy is that there's a lot of private ingenuity and private capital that can go in. But because it's of something that can wreck the whole nation if you don't get it right, and nuclear technology is the most powerful and sensitive in the world in many ways, then it's going to involve the government and not having government involvement in some way, at least in setting the direction for private ingenuity and capital to march in and to do their best, well, it's not clear we're going to be organized enough to build the, these cathedrals for the next generation. It's a difficult thing. I, I'm not, I've become almost completely non-ideological politically because of struggling through the history, the complicated history of building giant projects that hold up a whole nation. It's like a garden. Electricity is like a garden. It's the soil, the fertile soil in which all the rest of the private and public enterprise grows in. And if you mess up that garden, times get really hard, which is what we're going to see in Europe. So I mentioned South Korea. Well, I'm ho- sorry to, sorry to yeah. continue this. No, um, go France ahead. is building one, two reactors in the United Kingdom. Um, China is finishing up some reactors in Pakistan and says it wants to build one in Argentina. We'll see if that starts. Um, USA is building two at home, but nothing else in the world at the moment. Japan's not really building anything. Um, you get the idea. That's the West. Yeah. South Korea just has their okay. one project, but since they turned against nuclear in the last presidency, they didn't sell anymore after that. And now they're going to try to make up five years of lost time with a pro-nuclear president. Russia is building in Turkey. 
and Egypt and Bangladesh and China and Russia, of course, and Belarus. And they were going to build in Hungary and Finland before the war. Finland canceled theirs. Hungary says, no, we're going to do it. Professionals, I trust, doubt that that'll happen, but we'll see. Uh, then they're also building in, did I mention India and Iran? Um, and then they're probably the front runner on about five or six different other deals. Hey, will it go in Saudi Arabia? Maybe. If you're Saudi Arabia, would you buy from the U.S., which can barely agree in Congress to let another country get our technology? That's messy. We're one of the only countries where Congress, the elected representatives, have to decide it's okay for a customer country to get our technology. But our technology isn't necessarily the best anymore, and we don't really know how to build it. So why would you – what's the urge to work with the U.S. if we're – we can be a pain in the ass – and then we aren't the experienced builders. <laughs> now, I want to change all that. I don't like that situation. As a young, red-blooded American engineer, I find that humiliating, and I, I won't stand for it. But changing it re- Good. requires humility. Well, you know what? We need a little humility then. And uh, I, I love your enthusiasm about it. And I hope we find it. And if, if what you're saying is true, that behind closed doors in Washington, D.C., both sides of the aisle – are agreeing on this, then I'm encouraged by that. But yes, we do want to do, of course, we want to do everything safely. We do. Uh, but you know, that's like saying we got to be safe. So kids still need to wear masks. Or I don't believe we got to be safe so, with new airlines, right? We got to be safe with airplanes. Well, we are safe pilots, yeah. uh, yes. big business that flies those airplanes and leases them and maintains them and airports and public officials and their families who fly airplanes. There's a perfect union of interest, and I believe that that's true for nuclear, mm-hmm. too. We got to sell that. Uh, it's it's a, so interesting, and, I, and I, I think the fact that you and I are talking and the fact that I hear this out in the, the ethosphere or whatever you want to call it. Ethosphere? No, that wouldn't be wrong. Ether, whatever. I hear it in the It's ether. in the air. It's in the air, <laughs> Michelle. It's in the air. It's in the air. It, is encouraging. Uh, your expertise is is remarkable, and I thank you for sharing it with us. And I hope you continue to to forge ahead with this, and that we figure it the heck out. Because, again, as you said, it's once the thing is built, it's so cheap and it's clean. There are other alternatives. So thank you so much for your effort, your work, and your time today. We appreciate you. Mark Nelson, Managing Director of Radiant Energy Group. And folks, there is so much good information at environmentalprogress.org, environmentalprogress.org. I have been blown away by that website, and I hope people will take a look at it and, and learn a few things. It's, it's really, it's, it's mind-altering, I think. Thanks again, Mark. This has been Sideline Sanity. I'm Michelle Tafoya. Be brave, do good, and check out environmentalprogress.org. Well, we always appreciate it when Charles Thorngren can join the join the podcast and talk a little money and gold in particular with us. Gold and silver. And Charles, it's these are mad times. I mean, it's just really wacky. And anyone who's watching the stock market is probably asking themselves, what do I do? I don't, I don't know, you know, I'm not, I don't know how to ride this roller coaster with everyone. And so obviously you recommend investing in precious metals. What's the first step that someone should take in learning about what precious metals can do for them? You know, the, the first step, um, 
give us a call, right? We're, we're going to show you what options there are available. Um, that's what Legacy is about, is showing you options and, and educating everyone. The important thing to know is that we don't invest in gold and silver because it's pretty or because it's it's unique. Those things are true, but we do it because it has the history of being the true diversity for someone's portfolio. It's the insurance policy against everyone's retirement and their uh, their savings. So, so this is why we look at, at gold and silver specifically. It's the currency that was always meant to be, right? It's not a fiat currency. There's no um, inflationary effect on it. Gold and silver are going to be worth what they're worth. The thing that changes with everything is the amount of dollars it takes to buy that gold and silver and the amount of dollars you get for owning that gold and silver. That's the big key. And this is what people don't understand about it typically is that it is not the stock market and it is not the dollar. It's an investment that is counter to both of those. So it gives you true diversity and balance is what everyone's looking for right now. They just don't know it. As inflation yeah. gets higher, this is where gold and silver come in. Someone's saying, okay, I, I want to do this, but I want to choose one or the other. When right. they call you and ask you these questions, when would you recommend gold and when would you recommend silver? You know, that's a great question. And what a lot of people wind up doing is actually doing a little of both because that's possible, right? But it's going to depend on your specific investment parameters. And that's one of the things we're going to do that we're, we're different from your typical stockbroker because we're not going to say, this is what all my customers are doing. Because that's not what's important. What's important is what matters to you and your portfolio. When is your retirement coming up? What are you looking to accomplish, right? What are your risks? What are, what, are your, what are your safety features that you need? So there's a lot that goes into it. And what we do here is talk with you, right? Our, our big thing is to educate you so that you understand why you're doing it as well as in what form and fashion. Because that's important. It is important. And I think, too, that people probably think uh, I'm a small investor. This is not for me. I can't I can't afford to do this. I can't afford to do this at a level that will benefit me to them. You would say what? Um, I don't think you can afford not to. If you have money saved and you're not flush with cash, it's more important than ever for you to make sure that you put yourself in a protective situation. Right. You have less to lose. So you should not lose it. It's, it's really, you know, it's, it's not about how much money you have or don't have. It's about how much protection you need. And if you don't have a, a very large portfolio, then you probably need it more than the guy who does because you can't afford that loss. And look at what the market's done over the course of the year. We are talking about a situation where the loss is extravagant and it's not done yet. This is why we look at uh, precious metals to counter that. And lastly, Charles, for those who fear that a recession may already be here or is coming, what do you tell them about how in a recession this investment helps out? Great question. A um, couple answers there. We are in a recession, um, but the reality is it's not going to get bad for a few more months. Then it's really going to be bad. What we see happen next year is going to be devastating. Just think 2007, 2008, right? The troubles with 2008 happened in 2007. It just took time for it to hit the market in a real sense. 
And this is what we see. You know, we have inflationary numbers that rival the 80s. Um, that's something that's going to be dramatic. So when we look at this, we say, why do we want to do it? And, and that's exactly why. It helps because it's not the dollar and it's not the stock market, right? This is the safe haven investment. And if you look at long-term wisdom, that's what metals do. They give you a place to store your wealth without the effects of inflation, right? Inflation is good for your metals. The stock market correcting is good for your metals. Uh, a weak economy is better for your metals. So that's what it's meant to do. And that's why it has its place in the economy. We're talking about a worst case scenario right now, but even under the best of terms, the government tells you two to 3% inflation is a good thing. And at two or 3%, it doesn't sound bad, right? But over the course of your retirement and your lifetime investing, if you go 40 years, you've lost over 120% of value of your dollar by not having metals. So even in the best of times, there should be some in your portfolio. And during the worst, you really want to make sure you get a hold of somebody who can explain why and show you what options you have. Yeah, that's why we love to recommend Legacy Precious Metals on our show, Sideline Sanity. So the website is LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. You can also go to the website and find the phone number to call, learn a whole lot more. It's just worth asking some questions, right? A quick phone call and getting more information about everyone's specific situation. Absolutely. We're a no-pressure organization. Everyone who contacts us, they reach out to us. We share information. If it's right for you, great. If it's not, that's great too. Learning something never hurt anybody. No, that is true. And we're <laughs> glad we had you on to learn something from you today, Charles Thorngren. Again, it's LegacyPMInvestments.com. Please go check them out. Just ask some questions. Learn a little something. Thank you so much, Charles. My pleasure. Thank you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.